This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer, and welcome to Keep the Faith, my weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. One of the great tragedies of domestic life is not merely the violence that husbands commit on their wives, but the fact that until very recently, this violence was perfectly acceptable and even encouraged. In some places, it still is including here in some parts of the United States. According to the Justice Department's Bureau of Justice Statistics, there are over 3 million reported incidents of domestic violence every year in the United States. Because too many domestic violence cases go unreported, the actual number of incidents is considered to be much higher. The Bureau's National Crime Victimization Survey also shows that approximately 3,800 of these victimized women are killed by their husbands, former husbands, boyfriends, or former boyfriends. This is also a fact. On any typical day, there are more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide. In Canada, which has only about 12% of the population of the United States, the statistics aren't any better. According to the Canadian Centre for Justice and Community Safety Statistics, in fact, the overall rate of family violence has been steadily climbing since 2016, meaning even before the COVID-19 lockdowns. In 2019, the last full year for which statistics are available, Over 68,550 women were victimized by a husband or boyfriend, or a former husband or former boyfriend. Approximately every six days, a woman in Canada is killed by her intimate partner. The problem is even more atrocious in too many other countries, especially in the third world. And so, the topic for this week, as promised, is domestic violence against women and what Jewish law has to say about it. For far too long, men believed that they were the lords and masters of the home, that they owned their women, and that they could do with them as they pleased. It took until not so very long ago for society to even begin to come to grips with this problem, and sadly, we're far away from resolving it. Indeed, at least one major Christian denomination in the United States some years ago reiterated that wives must play a subservient and submissive role to their husbands, which in some circles is seen as license to beat wives who were not submissive. Christian texts are used to support such a belief, and especially this text in Ephesians that's attributed to the Apostle Paul, quote, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. In 1 Timothy, Paul supposedly said that women have no right, quote, to assume authority over a man, unquote. Such texts have been used, misused actually, and woefully misunderstood. 
Such texts have been used to validate abusive behavior by husbands against wives, including occasional physical abuse. That the problem of spousal abuse is not so easily solved must be blamed on the ambivalence with which society has approached it century after century. Jewish thinkers were not immune to this ambivalence. A number of authorities, at least in medieval times, even ruled that a man had the right to beat his wife if she failed to keep their home clean. An aside is called for here. As I mentioned last week in discussing child abuse, rabbinic rulings often are not the word of God or God's Torah. They're nothing more than the opinions of the rabbis who issued them. Very often, these rabbis were influenced by the cultures of the surrounding broader communities in which they lived. In the Middle Ages, Sephardi rabbis lived in Muslim lands, where certain versions of Islamic texts were interpreted to allow husbands to beat wives who disobeyed them. Ashkenazi rabbis, on the other hand, had no contact with those cultures, but they had negative views about the Christian world they lived in because that world was virulent anti-Semitic. They thus were not inclined to incorporate Christian teachings or customs of any kind, and so they tended to be more often outspoken against wife-beating. In both the Sephardi and Ashkenazi worlds, there were exceptions. It would appear, for example, that Maimonides, the Rambam of Sephardi, took that right to beat a wife away from the husband in his The Laws of Marriage and gave it to the rabbinic court, although some would argue that he too permitted men to beat their wives for their domestic lapses. Rambam does in fact state that a woman may be compelled to perform housework even with a rod, those are his words, but it doesn't say who should wield that rod. From the context of the rest of the paragraph in which that statement appears, however, it's virtually certain that he meant that only a court could order such a beating. On the other hand, as you'll hear a bit later, Rambam also codified stringent penalties for the wife beater. But the Rambam codified any kind of beating for one's wife, however, prompted swift response from other halachists, including Rabbi Abraham ibn Daoud, another Sfardi. The Ravad, as he's known, stated unequivocally that such a rule was unheard of. This eventually became the prevailing view. Thus, in the 16th century, when the Sfardi rabbi Joseph Caro compiled the Shulchan Aruch, the definitive code of Jewish law, he left in the right to compel a woman to perform housework, but left out any mention of beating her into compliance. This ambivalence within Judaism, however, was an aberration in the sense that it was unsupportable based on the Talmud, the traditional first reference in trying to determine halakh positions. The Talmud doesn't deal with wife beating per se, but only because it makes no distinction between beating one's wife or beating anyone else and it forbids beating anyone, period. Last week I quoted a prominent conservative authority on Jewish law, Rabbi Elliot Dorf, who noted that, quote, rabbinic law assumes that we do not have the right to strike others, unquote. 
That too is codified in Jewish law today in the Shulchan Aruch, as it was amended for Ashkenazim by Rabbi Moses Israelis, known as the Ramah. From the beginnings of the Halakha until today, Judaism has made it clear that a man has no right to beat his wife or to terrorize her in any way, at any time, under any circumstances. That's what the law says, period. It's uncompromising, it's blunt, and it's clear. A wife-beater can be brought before a rabbinic court. The penalties imposed by the court grow in severity if the man is a serial offender. Thus, for example, in the 13th century, Rabbi Meir of Rothenburg, known as the Maharam, stated, quote, As for a man who hits his wife, he must be dealt with more severely than a person who hits someone else, since even if he's not allowed to hit anyone, he does not have to respect others, but he does have to respect his wife. He who beats his wife must be boycotted and excommunicated, beaten and punished with all sorts of beatings, and even his hand should be cut off if it is used to beat her, unquote. That's a very strong and telling statement. The Torah doesn't order cutting off the hand of anyone. Yet the Maharam said that repeatedly beating one's wife requires that, quote, even his hand should be cut off, unquote, if he continues to beat her. The Maharam also ruled that the law makes wife beating somewhat an exception to the rule regarding divorce, which is supposed to be initiated only by the husband. Said the Maharam, quote, and if she wants to leave the marriage, she's to be let out and given her due, unquote. While the woman can't actually initiate the divorce even in these circumstances, the rabbinic court can compel the husband to do so. If the rabbinic court is unable to force the husband to give his wife a get, application may be made to the secular non-Jewish courts for enforcement. And that's a virtually unheard of and usually forbidden remedy in the centuries before the Enlightenment, and to some degree even today. The Maharam's ruling was not his invention, nor was it an isolated opinion. It was taken almost verbatim from an earlier ruling written by the 12th century Ashkenazic Talmudic commentator Rabbi Simcha ben Samuel of Spires. In the 16th century, the Sephardi Rabbi Karo also repeats this responsum, almost verbatim. What does the halacha mean by her due? Rambam, following the lead of the Talmud, wrote this in his Laws of Injury and Damage. Quote, A husband who harmed his wife must immediately pay her all the injury, shame, and sorrow. Everything belongs to her and the husband derives no benefit, unquote. Why does halakha, Jewish law, adopt such a stringent attitude? Because its operative principle is that a wife, quote, goes up with her husband. She does not go down, unquote. Meaning that marriage is supposed to improve the quality of a woman's life, not diminish it. As the sage Rabbi Eliezer said in the tractate dealing with Ketubot, the Talmudic volume dealing with marriage contracts, quote, because Eve was the mother of all living, a wife was given to her husband to live, but not to suffer pain, unquote. 
That's also why Judaism gives wives all the conjugal rights and gives none to their husbands. Sexual abuse goes hand in hand with other forms of physical abuse. In fact, the Talmud makes no distinction between intentional and unintentional abuse in this area. Thus, it asks in another tractate, known as Baba Kama, quote, What is the law if a man injures his wife during intercourse? Since he did this, the intercourse, not the injury, since he did this with her permission, is he exempt from liability for damages, or should he have exhibited greater care? Unquote. The answer, the Talmud states, is that he should have exhibited greater care and is thus liable for her injuries, even though she was a willing participant in the act itself. A phrase in that ruling bears repeating, quote, since he did this, the intercourse, with her permission, unquote. As noted a moment ago, in Judaism, men are forbidden to be intimate with their wives or lovers without the express consent of those wives or lovers. They have the conjugal rights. The men do not. That's not what the world outside Judaism ever believed, at least until very recently. It wasn't until 1986, just 35 years ago, that the Federal Sexual Abuse Act made marital rape a criminal offense. And it wasn't until mid-1993 that marital rape became a crime in all 50 states. Even then, though, there were still loopholes that allowed men to get away with raping their intimate partners. Here's a loophole from Minnesota's 2018 law code. Quote, A person does not commit criminal sexual conduct if the actor and complainant were adults cohabiting in an ongoing voluntary sexual relationship at the time of the alleged offense, or if the complainant is the actor's legal spouse, unless the couple is living apart and one of them has filed for legal separation or dissolution of the marriage, unquote. That statute was used to prevent a man from even being charged with marital rape in Minnesota in 2018, even though it was undeniable that he would repeatedly drug his wife and then he would rape her after she had passed out. That's undeniable because he recorded each rape and stored the videos on his computer. That case drew so much negative attention that Minnesota removed this loophole in 2019, but those loopholes still exist elsewhere. They don't exist in Judaism. The 3,500-year-old Torah itself made rape a crime from the very beginning, likening it to murder, and our sages of blessed memory nearly two millennia ago made certain marital rape was included. As I stated earlier, Jewish law sought to get at the problem at its most basic level by denying men any conjugal rights. It follows that if men have no power over their wives in the bedroom, they have no power over them anywhere else. It's that simple. The problem with halakha is that in the more traditional Jewish communities, men are the ones who exercise authority over it, and sometimes those men ignore the parts they don't like. Unfortunately, even in some of the allegedly halakhic decisions of certain rabbis. I say alleged decisions, though, because sometimes these rabbis are blamed for things they never actually said. 
The fact is that it's not always clear that the original version of a rabbinic ruling actually contained permission to beat one's wife. That's the case, for example, in an 8th century ruling reported in the name of Yehudai Gaon. He headed the great Babylonian Talmud Academy in Sura in the mid-8th century, and his influence on Jewish law extended for many centuries afterward. He supposedly wrote that a wife was never allowed to raise her voice to her husband, not even if he beat her. Yehudai Gaon, however, very likely never said any such thing. As the Hebrew University's history professor Abraham Grossman wrote in 1991, quote, It is doubtful whether such words actually were written by a sage of Rav Yehudai Gaon's standing, for his influence on his students and on subsequent generations was very strong, and it is doubtful that had he expressed such ideas, later scholars would have ignored them. We do not know who actually wrote the words in question. They probably reflect the influence of Muslim law under which wife-beating was an accepted and regular occurrence. In my opinion, the source belongs to the non-normative literature that flourished among the Jews in Muslim countries in the 7th to the 9th centuries, unquote. Whether Yehudai Gaon wrote those words or not, it's irrelevant. Normative Jewish law is very clear. Violence against a wife is forbidden. That's why wife abuse, which should not be a problem in the Jewish community and should never have been tolerated by us precisely because our rules are so strict, is just as serious a problem with us as it is everywhere else. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I do hope you come back for my next podcast, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shamai.org. www.shamai.org and email me, please. If you don't get the Jewish Standard but want to read my columns, go to the column page of my website. The most current entry is Women's Rights. Don't blame the Torah. Shabbat Shalom, stay healthy, and stay safe.